Imagine being a marathon runner, but one day you can't even run a mile. Just had to stop because I, I couldn't breathe. Or what about feeling like your brain is constantly in a fog? Every 20 minutes I would go walk into a room to get some. I forget what I was there for. What if suddenly you just couldn't get out of bed? I just felt extremely weak and defeated. <laughs> what do these people have in common? They were all healthy, active, and relatively young when they got COVID. And months later, the virus is wreaking havoc on their bodies. Their symptoms read like a laundry list of basically anything that can go wrong. They're part of a growing population of unknown number, the so-called long haulers. Long haulers are so mysterious. I would call it an enigma because everybody seems to be affected in different ways. While the world struggles to control the rapidly spreading and mutating COVID-19 virus, we now have the extra worry of what it's doing to people long term. In this episode, we take a look at the unfolding medical mystery of long-haul COVID, one that doctors and researchers are working overtime to uncover. And we hear from three people whose lives have been drastically changed by this virus. From the PBS NewsHour, this is America Interrupted. I'm Stephanie Sai. Stephanie. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Hi, nice to meet you. It's very, very nice to meet you. Diana, Dane, and Liza are all yes. long haulers. We asked them to tell us what it's like when you just can't shake the symptoms. From May through October, I was in a real bad way. That's uh, that Dane Tabano. He's 41 years old. He's a husband and father of three, lives in New Jersey, where he's a high school counselor and runs a wrestling school. Being a long hauler has changed him more than just physically. I was a, kind of like a wisecrack. Can I say wise ass? <laughs> I was kind of like a wisecracking type, humorous, high energy person. Uh, I'm getting a very little of that back, but um, I'm not as quick thinking on my feet anymore. I'm like a hot blooded Italian uh, guy. And uh, the enjoyment part of my life has definitely not been as prevalent as it, I'm used to it being. Then there's Diana Barrent. I had a pretty average case of COVID, what I call the Tylenol and Gatorade variety. She's a 46-year-old wife and mother of two who lives on Long Island. She had COVID early in the pandemic. Well, other people are really sick from the day they get sick and just never get better. I had more of like a relapsing, remitting um, pattern to my experience. And I had a full symptomatic relapse over the summer. And I was diagnosed with COVID onset glaucoma, which um, I was a photographer before this. So I'm not sure that I'll ever be returning to that. Diana's experience with COVID prompted her to start an online support group called Survivor Corps. It's now grown to over 150,000 members. 36-year-old Liza Fisher from Houston, Texas, turned to Survivor Corps when she got sick. I was very adventurous. I was traveling all over the world as a flight attendant. I was fostering, volunteering. I ran. Um, I was in the gym. I was privately teaching yoga, active with my friends. Liza's case is extreme. After spending months in the hospital last year, some of it in an ICU, she hasn't had a day without severe symptoms. Now, post-COVID, I suffered debilitating tremors. I'm learning how to walk again. 
I'm in a wheelchair. Um, my neurological symptoms are extensive uh, with my speech impairment at times. I'm doing like fourth grade math. I read out loud worse than I did when I was five years old um, and I just do medical visits and stay inside my house with my mom living with me now to help me function. It's a lot of symptoms that are just <laughs> making it difficult to live inside my body. It doesn't even feel like Liza anymore. Oh my gosh, that's a very dramatic change for you. I have quite the list. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Diana, talk about your COVID, um, how severe it was, and when it occurred to you that you might have long-haul COVID symptoms. So I had um, excruciating headaches for months. I really felt like my brain was going to explode out of my head, and I had like six months of unrelenting nausea, and I couldn't regulate my temperature for months. Um, I was constantly going from room to room, taking off sweatshirts, putting, putting them back on. I couldn't get comfortable in my own skin. And those uh, hallucinations also were insane. When I had acute COVID, I, was, I had really um, profound insomnia. And that added with the hallucinations, every time I closed my eyes, I felt like I could see through my eyelids, mm. and that would—that uh, still comes back from time to time. Actually, I never lost my taste or smell, but I get random phantom smells, regardless, from time to time of stale smoke. Nobody in my house smokes cigarettes or gas, which is also strange. Mm. Dane, what about you? Talk about um, sort of the worst of the, of your symptoms. The worst for me definitely be the tachycardia. Um, and the tachycardia is sort of that racing heart rate. Yeah, I had a, I, I recorded a heart rate of 210 at one point sitting down in a chair. Ugh, gosh. Um, the brain fog for sure. Uh, the tinnitus in the ears uh, persists. Sleep disturbance. You know, awkward things happening with my sensory awareness. Um, mm. And even kind of just the feeling of things around me that weren't really there. Um, the scariest is when I was driving, you know, was there a car coming? You know, you look both ways before you go through a stop sign. And I was like seeing cars that weren't there for a while. So uh, false reality type stuff. Liza, you said that you're now unable to even walk. Can you talk about specifically what is your body sort of going through? Um, I thought leaving the ICU, it would just be like, dehydration and malnutrition and um, the dizziness, vertigo, and weakness. And then the tremors came in August and they were very debilitating and we couldn't find answers for them. Then it was like neuropathy and my brain couldn't understand um, what my feet were doing. Uh, they were crisscrossing and tripping each other. Those symptoms just continued. And, um, and so I eventually got a implant in my spine in order to try to get the tremors to stop. Mm. Do you guys, as you listen to each other's stories, do you hear things that, that feel familiar as far as sort of the brain to body connection and those signals? Uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> on Labor Day, I was um, operating a, a table saw and um, Anybody who knows me knows that I'm like extra careful about everything I do. I take the right precautions. I've used that saw over a hundred times before. And 
I was uh, ripping, they call it the term is ripping down um, one by fours to one by twos. But for some reason, when I cut like the 16th one, uh, I, I was squeezing it. The saw started to pull me in. And at that moment, I needed like a really keen response from my reflexes and my brain. And I, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't let go. I just held on to it and it pulled my hand in. It was a five, five and a half hour surgery to put my hand back together. And that is not something that would have happened, you don't think, pre-COVID? No. no. I, I, I'm, I mean, obviously, I can't say with 100% certainty, but 99.99% certainty. Long-term COVID is really, it's like a constellation of symptoms with each person having a totally different cluster. Um, and some days when I was in the real thick of it, um, it would feel like waking up in the morning and reaching into, you know, a shopping bag and pulling out a handful of symptoms, never knowing which ones you're going to get that day. But there is a sort of string that goes through all of them. The things that you rely on your body to naturally do just aren't working right anymore. Like there's a disconnect that almost needs to be rewired. It's interesting. Listening to your power saw story, it, mine's very simple, but one day I tried to put my hair in a ponytail and I just, I had my hands in my hair and I didn't know what to do next. I just froze. I was like, I don't know how to put a ponytail. And that's something simple that you do, you know, for women all the time. And I didn't know how to do it. I think one of the also really frightening parts about the whole situation is it's not like you can even say, I'm, I'm better because I'm afraid that there's going to be another relapse around the corner. I'm a, you know, even whereas I feel like I can almost start to exercise again, each time I do, I am exhausted for a week. I think about my son a lot. He was 11 when he got COVID last winter. And it was, I would never would have called him a long hauler kid. And in early November, he lost one of his adult front teeth mm. with spontaneously with no blood loss from vascular damage to either his tooth, his jaw, or his gum. We're still trying to figure it out. And it turns out that that's a really common occurrence, um, which is shocking. But it's almost like COVID nestles in your body and hides out and it can act like a ticking time bomb. How much comfort have you all gotten from your medical providers? Have you gotten any answers? I have not. I, I have I um, have gone to many specialists. I spent the summer going from specialist to specialist. And I have to say that I've gotten more help from doing my own research and talking to scientists and medical experts and, you know, finding this vagus nerve stimulator and doing a gut biome test and getting myself on custom probiotics because it was my stomach was so off and wearing compression leggings to help the vasculature repair. I found those things to all be more helpful than any of my actual medical appointments where I was getting all of these scans done and tests and the doctor would then say at the end, you, you have COVID, onset, IBS. Well, okay, you could have just said you don't know. <laughs> and that's not an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, uh, um, my local doctor was not, he's not a bad guy. He's a really, really great guy. Um, but he kind of didn't know what else to tell me other than he knows that I had pretty good uh, pain threshold and, and pretty good resilience. So he, he just told me to try to push through it. And obviously, I think we all here know what, what, uh, what the limitations of that advice were uh, are, but um, at the post-COVID clinic at, at UPenn, the the doctor, the cardiologist I'm seeing, 
Uh, he's been really helpful. I think the best piece of information I got from him was it's not completely and entirely uncommon to have this post-viral response in some cases. So um, I guess that kind of helped me a little bit make me feel like uh, I wasn't going crazy. Liza, I feel like you, because you had the most severe case of COVID in this group, you've been interfacing with doctors all along. Um, when it comes to these prolonged symptoms that you're still experiencing, do you feel like you're getting um, getting somewhere with some answers and some treatment? A, a little bit. Every once in a while, I feel like I get two steps forward and two steps back. Initially, I had given up on healthcare because my story was that I had been to multiple ERs and been turned away from urgent cares until I finally was so sick that I did get into ICU. And since then, um, care has been happening and I, I do enjoy my doctors, they're trying. Um, and I see a great neurologist at a post-COVID clinic. So from here on out, I have been getting better care and treatments, but definitive answers no, not really. I mean, I, I have actually been told once that, well, you know, it's something in your central nervous system that we don't even have a name for. Huh. And I mean, that's kind of tough to hear, but it's it's probably true. <laughs> and so I'm just kind of studied and they tell me you're kind of a guinea pig and and we are. We're the guinea pigs. So, Diana, you've built this entire online community of people who are essentially guinea pigs. Absolutely. How is Survivor Corps helping long haulers like you? I think that there are moments when you're like, wait, is this COVID related? Is it not COVID related? Mm. Like it, it, you can do start to feel yourself going a little bit crazy or I'll look at my kids and something will be going on with one. of them. like, is that COVID related? Like, and so it can be so useful to just do a keyword search. And you, look, if, uh, if none of the other 150,000 members have experienced it, it's probably not COVID related. But, yeah. you know, it was like when I was able to ask about the tooth loss, I had no idea if that was COVID related. And lo and behold, it was, but there would have been no way of knowing without crowdsourcing through that group. And Liza, you were also able to find a support group specifically for women of color. Why has that been important to you? We're used to being dismissed in the medical community. As a black woman, especially. As a black woman, yes. Yeah. And um, I think COVID is bringing to light how gaslighting is um, very frustrating for people. And I, I, I think that's a good thing because that's something that that the people of color community is used to. That's been a regular occurrence throughout my entire life. I mean, as I sat the second ER visit um, that I had when I was waiting in that COVID area, everyone that I was surrounded by was of black or Latino descent. And that's just insane to me because of the disparity of the rate that COVID has hit those communities. I, you know, as you continue to go through it, and it sounds like you're all at different points in sometimes feeling better, sometimes not. In Liza's case, it sounds like you're really still in the middle of it all. What gets you through each day? My family. <laughs> For me, it's my family. When, when I was in the hospital, I made a video in the what is that little the thing? I call it the lottery machine because it reminds me of a lottery ball going up and down. The breathing thing that you, you were supposed Spirometer. to practice with. Spirometer. Yes, yeah. yes. Dane's got all the terminology <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. 
That's that, that word finding skill I have to work on still. <laughs> that was a good one. I, I didn't um, get that one either. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would, I would call that my Machu Picchu because, um, you know, I had planned on June Machu Picchu and Kilimanjaro by the time I was 40 here. And so I have that in my, in my mind's eye and I still plan on doing Machu Picchu. So that keeps me motivated. Liza, it's amazing how positive you sound. You, you, you still sound like such a positive person. It's kind of like weird to say out loud, but it, I'm glad that this much has happened to me because I don't know if another person would be able to handle that. Like, is that weird to say? No. Nope. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Do you have any other advice for folks out there that are listening and are also suffering from these mysterious symptoms? Oh, showing your body grace and your mind and spirit. A lot of grace. Cause, I love that. Uh, every day is a new day, and there's a lot of changes that you don't really know, um, and you may want to push yourself. I know I like to push myself hard, and it's, it's a difficult thing. I need to practice my own advice because <laughs> sometimes your body just doesn't, may not push where, you, where your mind wants it to go. And I, I rewatched the scene in, um, uh, oh, what's the name of the movie now? Tom Hanks on the Island, Castaway. And um, yeah. where, where, he, where he's talking. Where he's with the soccer ball or the volleyball. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's talking to his friend after he got back and he's just like, I just realized I had to keep breathing. You know, and I just, I, I revisited that quote a lot. I actually wrote it on my phone. A lot of meditation. Meditation helps. But I think also feeling that you can, I mean, you really have to be your own best advocate and you have to be a detective because we're in uncharted territory. And so, you know, I, I often refer to it as playing CSI COVID. You know, that's why I feel like we're starring in it. And each little clue we're putting up on the wall on an index card and trying to piece it all together and figure out what is going on and how we can get to the bottom of this and help people and create a, you know, a platform, a road to recovery. Across the country, doctors are trying to give long haulers some relief from their mystifying symptoms. At the same time, researchers are putting on their detective hats to try and find out how the virus is affecting the entire body. Dr. William Lee is one of those doctors. He's an internal medicine physician, but he's also a vascular biologist. Hi, Dr. Lee. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk to you as well. He spent his career studying the vast network of blood vessels that carry blood and nutrients to every part of our body. Since the pandemic hit, Dr. Lee has focused his medical research on the damage COVID inflicts on the vascular system, and especially what it means for long haulers. You know, long haulers are so uh, mysterious. I would call it an enigma because everybody seems to be affected in different ways. So anything from uh, extreme fatigue, and I'm talking about former athletes who have difficulty walking up steps, brain fog, uh, not just a little bit of, uh, of fogginess, but like really confusion. We're talking about um, sudden racing of the heart, kind of, you know, that problem that sometimes happens in cars where, you know, your foot is on the brake and the engine revs. People are experiencing that symptoms, which is known as tachycardia, glaucoma, loose teeth, uh, strange smells, a whole host of these really odd, bizarre, over 100 problems, symptoms that are associated with long-hauler COVID. 
it's such a random bunch of symptoms. What do we know about what's causing them? You know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I, as a doctor, I just assumed, like most of the medical community, that this was a respiratory virus, which it still is. Patients breathe it in and it goes down to your lungs and affects your lungs and causes a bad lung disease. And, and indeed, it does just that. However, from the very early days, we started noticing, you know, things that are not typical respiratory infections. We saw people who are able to continue to talk and socialize and interact with other people, even though their blood oxygen levels were plummeting. And they'd be talking on the cell phone in the emergency room, and then suddenly they would drop like a rock. And that didn't make sense to us because they should have been progressively having trouble breathing as opposed to suddenly having respiratory collapse. And research that I and others have done is really try to dig down to understand what could be going on beyond the lung. And what we discovered is that uh, the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus not only affects the lung, but it affects blood vessels and causes blood vessel damage, or we call it vascular damage. And because blood vessels are a 60,000 mile channel that connects every cell and organ in our body, once you get that infection, COVID, affecting your vascular system, it can go anywhere. I wonder if you could describe what exactly blood vessels do in our bodies and, and what happens when COVID goes after them. Sure. Our blood vessels bring oxygen and nutrients to all of our cells. The way they do this is making sure blood can flow smoothly. It doesn't clot. I tell people to think about it like the uh, ice on an ice skating rink before a hockey game. After the Zamboni, which is the big machine that drives over the ice and makes it nice and slippery. I mean, you could throw a sweater on the ice and it would go all the way across the rink. After a game, you know, when you rough up the ice, the, the things will stick on it. You know, you'll, when you try skating on it, you'll actually get caught. Your skates will get caught and it's easy to fall. Now, that's the difference between smooth blood flow, which is important for health, and damaged blood vessels. So if you think about the lining of these tubes, uh, this network of, of, of blood vessels in our body, like an ice skating rink, like the, like the slickness of the ice inside the blood vessel. But damage from COVID will actually rough up that slick, icy lining like after a hockey game. And so now blood won't flow so well. It'll stick. And that sticking in the blood is what's causing blood clots. And that's actually what we started seeing at the very beginning of the pandemic, this odd thing of people having blood clots in their lungs and having strokes. This started to begin uh, helping us understand what was actually going on. I love that analogy. And, and so COVID-19 is like the aggressive hockey team that's ravaging the ice with its skates. Exactly. The acute COVID is kind of like a hockey game with a big fight among the players. And then, by the way, long COVID might be likened to the game is over and the hockey players are off the ice, but they leave this damage on the ice, you know, uh, and it needs to repair itself. And that's what we're actually seeing is that long-term COVID long, you know, months afterwards, we still see this damage uh, in the lining of the blood vessels. And how are you seeing it? I know that you have actually looked at tissue, um, but are we also talking about scans where you can see this damage to the blood vessels? 
Yeah, to look at blood vessels, we have a lot of different ways of doing it. But maybe the most dramatic evidence that I've seen through my own research is that we've actually taken uh, the uh, CAT scans uh, of people who uh, have recovered from COVID months later, six months later, uh, and told their doctors they can't breathe still. They then send them for a CAT scan to see if there's any evidence of damage. And the CAT scan comes back with the report of normal. No blood clots, no pneumonia, no scarring. And now the patient's still complaining. The doctor tries to uh, reassure them that everything looks okay. Mm. But the patient says, I still can't breathe. Well, we've taken that CAT scan that looks normal. And we've been able to apply a software technology that actually reconstructs slice by slice of the the CAT scan image, only the blood vessels. And when we reconstructed the blood vessel network in lungs of people with post-COVID, long-term COVID long haulers, and compared it to the vascular pattern, the blood vessel pattern of normal people with normal lungs, we found that the people who are um, suffering long-term COVID could have deficiencies or missing blood vessels that's anywhere up from 25 to 80% reduced compared to normal lungs. That's really massive. Dr. Lee is looking specifically at the vascular system, but long COVID also seems to impact the body's autoimmune response, making it fight itself, and its neurological functions, creating problems with how the brain sends and receives signals. A number of the long haul haulers we interviewed described having a hard time approaching their physicians with their symptoms because um, they felt they had to convince their doctors that this was really happening. Why do you think that is? There are really no experts in this. And I think that that trips up sometimes doctors as well, where, you know, we're hearing symptoms from patients we've never even encountered before, and we don't know what to think. It's an odd time because this is a brand new disease. You know, it's the worst public health crisis in 100 years. And yet medicine is so sophisticated that, um, you know, doctors know a lot, except when there's a new disease, we know zilch. And, and that's an unusual place for physicians to be, not to know and hardly anything about a, a disease that's not even in textbooks yet. But from the patient's perspective, some are being told it's all in their head. And, and yeah. judging by the physical scans you've seen, that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I'm telling you, this is where doctors need to actually be willing to listen to their patients. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who always realizes that the patient who's telling me something that I don't know, I've never seen before, that um, uh, is not in any textbook I ever read, it's time for me to learn from the patient. So this is an odd time where the patients are actually teaching doctors something and doctors need to learn how to listen really, really carefully. Do we have a good sense right now of what the prognosis is for most of these long haulers? Uh, Are they going to recover in time? Is it just too early to know? Uh, You know, we're just uh, about a year out from this unprecedented time. We've learned a lot about the virus. We've learned a lot about acute COVID. And I think we're still catching up with and still becoming aware of the problem of long COVID. I mean, it's a 
complex constellation. Everybody has something different. Some of the people that I've met with long haulers, they have actually gradually recovered. Now, that said, in some cases, you know, the symptoms are actually worsening. Um, and there are some people who are actually disabled, you know, people who have lost their hearing or, you know, young people who um, whose heart has not fully recovered. And I think it's still too early to know if that's going to be permanent or, you know, fingers crossed, it's a slow recovery. So the vaccines are coming online slowly but surely. And yet there's a potential now for millions of people that have ostensibly recovered from COVID. It's the virus is no longer detectable in their bodies, but they may have long hauler syndrome. How concerning is that? There's a lot of survivors out there, and we don't know how many, what percent of COVID survivors actually have long haulers. It's been estimated as low as 10%, as high as 80%, and we don't yet have the technologies to be able to diagnose it, and we still don't understand it, and there are no treatments for it yet. And when it comes to the battle between humans versus virus, do you feel confident we're going to win? You know... I think it's too early to make a declaration, but wow. I think that we I wasn't have... expecting you to hesitate there, Dr. Well, let, let, me, let me tell you, it's very difficult to beat Mother Nature. And I think that sometimes humans over-ascribe ingenuity to ourselves, you know, like we can just engineer something. We cannot brush off how significant this is by ignoring the power of nature. I think we imperil ourselves by thinking that that it's going to go away. And I think that there are going to be some aspects of this, uh, the fight against the, you know, the, the, the humans versus the virus, that's going to teach us new things about us as humans, as well, our own biology, uh, new medicines. And so I think, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're going to we're going to make it. But this is what I get up every single morning thinking about. Until we figure this problem out, uh, I don't think I'm going to rest. I mean, this is something that we actually have to do for each other in society, you know, as humans. Um, Look, we have vaccines. We have better antiviral treatments. We have nothing for long haulers yet. So to me, if I can actually contribute to solving this problem of long haulers, at least the vascular part, um, that's where I'm going to be. Dane, Liza, and Diana, the long haulers I spoke with, are hopeful those treatments are on their way soon. But between now and then, they're dreaming of life after COVID. Once you all are recovered completely, what is the first thing that you want to do? Cry. Cry? (laughs) I fantasize about the moment where I'm back to where I was. You know, and um, I look at my kids, especially, and the things I haven't been able to do with them and and my wife, who has struggled a lot through this um, with seeing me the way I am. And, um, you know, I I just I would like that cathartic moment, you know, of just knowing this is over and uh, maybe that could happen at a Caribbean island. That'd be great, too. (laughs) I'll meet you there. (laughs) Liza, what about you? Dance. I want to stand up and dance and run. And eat whatever I want without getting sick. (laughs) I want to hang out with friends in a restaurant and talk about something other than COVID. Is there anything else that you guys want to ask each other or or say to each other? Just to Liza specifically, I applaud that you're, you're, you know, you're you're doing as much as you are right now. Um, 
and uh, you know even if you just get one percent better every day you know that's a yeah, a quote from, you know, my athletic experience. Just try to get 1% better every day. Liza, we're just, I just want you to know that you have an enormous community behind you who you might not hear it, but we are cheering you and everyone else who's suffering like you are every step of the way. And we will get you there. We will get you across that finish line. Thank you. I love that you guys share so much because it, you know, all the people that come behind you just learn so much from it and I appreciate it. To watch our piece on COVID long haulers, including what heart and lungs damaged by COVID-19 look like, visit our website, pbs.org newshour. This episode was produced by Lorna Baldwin, Vika Aronson, and Ryan Connolly-Holmes, and edited by Erica R. Hendry and Emily Carpo. Fact-checking by Maya Lene Bura. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our thanks to Travis Dobb, Vanessa Dennis, James Williams, and Maura Shannon. Our executive producer is Sarah Just. Thanks for listening.